Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 19. I'll read from the New International Version, and the words will be on screen, though I invite you to open a Bible or a device if you have one handy to follow along. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he uh, confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, then who are you? Are, Are you Elijah? He said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who send us, sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water. John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the one whose stra- uh, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think we all like labels. And by labels, I don't mean those little ones that you can print out with a label maker and stick on everything. Uh, Those are great. They're a lot of fun to use. And I highly recommend one if you don't have one for organizing your things. In fact, uh, when my wife and I lived in a big college house in Grand Rapids with students, every year the students would come into our community house and they would wonder, where are the things kept in the kitchen? And we always had a debate. Should we label every single cupboard and drawer so they knew where the things were? Or should we let them figure it out, see where things ended up, and and hope that some sort of consensus would emerge. And every year we debated it, and every year we ended up on the organic side. We, We let things find their home, and then that was their home, and then that's where they stayed for the year. It, it didn't always work. In fact, there was one student who, even in late April, would still wonder, where, where does this spoon go? I think the labels might have helped him. Uh, uh, they, they kept on asking where to put that utensil at the end of the school year. Now, on the other hand, we do like labels in the bigger sense, too. You know, we we like to say, well, you're you're a conservative or you're a liberal. You're reformed or you're Baptist. You are Christian or agnostic. You're green or or white or blue and yellow. You're a Spartan or a a Packer or, heaven forbid, a blood-red Buckeye. 
Some people label themselves by the teams they follow. Some people label themselves or others in a way that actually makes it hard for them in the world. You know, someone might label themselves, I'm a a loser. Or or someone might say about someone else, she's no good. Or uh, there's an author of a book on cognitive behavior therapy, Judith Becker, who says that when we label ourselves this way, we might actually be ignoring evidence that uh, could lead to some sort of less disastrous conclusion. In other words, things aren't quite as bad as the labels we put on ourselves. Labels that don't help us live a better life uh, are ones that we could do without. And those labels that we put on other people, well, those sometimes are downright dangerous. Now, the religious leaders here in John are are sent down from Jerusalem to find John and put a label on him to figure out who he is. And they they send this team from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? And, And it is a natural question because John has been out in the wilderness along the Jordan River ministering for quite some time. And he's been preaching this gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins. He's talking about the one who's coming after him. He's preparing the way for the Lord. And he's drawing all these large crowds of people down from Jerusalem and Judea and all around down to the Jordan River. Uh, And that's what got him on the radar of the religious police. I like showing maps sometimes, and here's a map of the area where John was baptizing. At the top up here, you can see the, the Sea of Galilee. Hopefully, that'll show up on screen. I'm seeing, it's, I'm, it's, I'm drawing it, but it's not coming up. Now, let's go back to the other one. I'll be switching it from here if you let me. And if I have to just use my hands, I will. So here we've got the the Sea of Galilee at the top and the Dead Sea at the bottom. And that little skinny line, which you can barely see on screen, is the Jordan River between the two. And John the Baptist was going up and down the river baptizing people, sometimes up near the top and sometimes towards the bottom near the Sea of Galilee. Now Jerusalem is this little dark spot with words that you can see down here at the bottom. And they sent the, the people down from Jerusalem to check out what was happening. Now, it's not clear exactly where this scene happened because there are actually two towns called Bethany along the Jordan. There's one up at the top and there's one at the bottom. And we still don't know to this day which one it was. However, the the traditional site where Jesus was baptized is uh, towards the bottom, Bethany along the Jordan. And this is what it looks like today. If you just let me control it from here, I can handle it. Um, Bethany along the Jordan looks kind of like this. Uh, it's, a, it's a dirty, silty river, kind of a little stream, and people come from the Israelite side to baptize, and they come from the Jordanian side on the far side to be baptized too. Now, it's thought that this is the traditional site of Jesus' baptism. It's also thought to be the place where the Israelites crossed when they first came into Israel, into the promised land after the Exodus. And the stream is kind of small today, but it would have been maybe 10 times bigger way back then. These days, about 90% of the water has been diverted for agriculture and human use, so it ends up being a pretty small, dirty, polluted stream. And yet, people still dip themselves in it. And it probably would have been a much bigger, stronger river back then. Now, John's ministry got started here along the Jordan River, and it got the attention of the religious police. See, before we start trashing them, we need to remember that they're just doing their job. They're faithfully watching out for the Messiah. They're doing what they've been told to do. They're alert for any sign of religious movement, of revival, of change, of people seeking after God. 
and they're waiting and watching for God to come free them from their Roman overlords and set them free and usher in the new kingdom. And even as they collaborate with the Romans to keep the whole temple sacrifice system going, they are watching for the Messiah. So these priests and Levites who come down are probably part of the group called the Pharisees. And Jesus himself may have been a Pharisee or trained by them. He grew up in Nazareth, after all, which was this hyper-religious Pharisee town. And and these guys are not necessarily the bad guys in the story. They're, They're just trying to do the right thing, faithfully keep the law while watching and waiting for the Messiah. But the problem is that they don't understand John. They want to put a label on him, but they can't figure out which label to use. Uh, Who are you, they ask. And and John answers his first answer, I am not the Messiah. He says it very clearly. So they try another label. Are you Elijah? There was a strong belief at this time that Elijah was going to come back before the Messiah and he would uh, return from heaven and and bring all sorts of good things. In fact, Jews to this day at the Passover feast will set a, a place at the table for Elijah to come And in words that will echo Jesus' words throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. John answers to them, I am not. I am not, Elijah. And they ask again, are you the prophet? Now, we don't know which prophet they're thinking of, probably uh, Moses or Isaiah or Micah or maybe any one of the prophets who pointed to the Messiah. And he says, no, And finally, exasperated and and confused, these religious police ask one more time, who are you? Give us an answer about yourself to take back to those who sent us. Because if they go back without an answer, they're going to get in trouble. What do you say about yourself? And John replies cleverly in, in those words of Isaiah. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And that seems to confuse these religious police even more. Because the problem is that John is attracting these crowds and and, and baptizing them. He's leading this religious revival. And these revivals are dangerous because they sometimes lead to revolutions. And those in power cannot allow any hint of revolution at this time. The problem is not what John's doing. The problem is that they don't understand who John is and who the Messiah is going to be. Who is John? He's the voice in the wilderness. He is definitely not the Messiah. And what is John doing? Well, he is there to prepare the way for the Messiah. He is not the one. He's not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who's to come. He simply points to the Messiah. And then one day, John does exactly what he was made for. See, he he points to the Messiah And he gives witness to the Messiah. And this John, who is often called John the Baptist, uh, uh, maybe a better label for him would be John the Witness. John the Witness. Because John's whole purpose here is to give witness to the Messiah. John's job is to see Jesus coming and say, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John doesn't actually baptize Jesus. John witnesses about Jesus. And if you look closely at the text here in John, John doesn't baptize Jesus here at all. He simply gives witness to who Jesus is. And in fact, the whole point of John's ministry of baptism, it says, the whole point of it, those thousands of people washed in water, is simply to reveal the Messiah. The point of this ministry is revelation. It's showing who the Messiah is and and. 
as, as these people come down to be washed in water, uh, he is showing them that Jesus is coming among them. Some of the other Gospels call this baptism of John a baptism of repentance or a baptism of forgiveness of sins. Uh, other people wonder if it's a baptism of washing and cleansing like Jews did at the time. But here, John says clearly that this is a baptism of witness. It's a declaration of the good news. Uh, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one who takes away the sin of the world, he is here. And curiously, uh, twice in these verses, John says that he does not or did not know Jesus. Now what does that mean? We know that these two guys were cousins after all. Uh, their, their mothers certainly knew what was going on and who they were. They must have taught them about the glorious circumstances of their births. They must have heard their mother's songs which declare what God is going to do and is doing through them. They knew the scriptures and the law and the prophets, and they even knew their roles, the, the voice in the wilderness and the Son of God. But John doesn't know him, it seems, for certain, until the Spirit comes down. And John witnesses the Spirit coming down from above like a dove. And all four Gospels have this image of the dove in them and, and, and it remains with him. The Spirit brings revelation. It's the coming down of the Spirit at baptism that is God's revelation of who Jesus is. The Spirit shows John who Jesus really is, that he is the Lamb of God, the chosen one of God. The Spirit baptizes Jesus and will baptize all who follow after Jesus. So here at the beginning of John, we have this complete view of the Trinity. We have God the Creator, God the Word, and, and God the Spirit. How the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was one with God, and the Word is the one who, through whom all things are created. And then the Spirit reveals the Word as the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And that title, Lamb of God, is an unusual one. See, it could mean that Jesus is the Passover Lamb of God. And the Passover Lamb represents God's protection for his people from the power of death. Now that is the most likely explanation, and it does fit with the whole Gospel of John, as we'll see later. Jesus will give his body and blood to his disciples at the Passover meal before he is arrested but John adds that this Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And that's curious because the Passover Lamb was not traditionally a sin offering. It wasn't meant to be an offering of forgiveness of sins and washing and cleansing. There was a whole different sacrifice for that. Yes, a lamb, though sometimes for poor people they would use a dove. But here we see John deliberately mixing these two sacrificial lambs. The, the sacrificial sin uh, lamb with the lamb at Passover protecting from death and evil to show what Jesus does. Jesus takes away, by taking on himself, he takes away the sin of the world. Not the sins of the world, plural, but the sin of the world. The, the, the sin that is on, not the sins of everyone, of all the people of you and me, but the sin of the world. This is not your personal Savior, Jesus this is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who takes on sin and death in himself and all the powers of evil, and he defeats them on the cross simply by dying. That is the same lamb that John the Revelator sees in his vision on the throne, the lamb that was slain, the dead lamb walking, who is on the throne in heaven. This lamb 
of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Savior. And and just as John gives witness to the Lamb here, we, we are called to give witness to the Lamb of God. It's John's job just as it is our job. And those labels that people put on John and on Jesus may have been wrong. So we go about changing those labels, pointing to the Lamb of God and saying that He takes away the sin of the world. Oh, we we might choose to use different words. Uh, That was John's shorthand for pointing out the Messiah. If you go in the middle of Times Square and shout, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, people might look at you a little funny. So what label do you use today? What is your gospel shorthand for telling people about Jesus? And does it come from Scripture? And and how does it resonate with people and with the world and with your life today? And what are the labels that other people put on Jesus, these mistaken labels that we need to, to correct and point people to who Jesus really is? And what are the labels that people put on those of us who follow Jesus? Hypocrites? Faithful? Weird? Are these labels accurate? And how do we get new labels? Well, we go to Scripture, and we see Jesus, and how Jesus is labeled. The Word made flesh, the the Lamb of God, the bread of life, the living water, or simply, I am. And then once Jesus is labeled, then you can uh, go around and, and say, just like Jesus does after this, come and see Come and see, because these labels that we put on Jesus and and on the people, the labels that people give to Jesus are sometimes wrong, just like those labels that we put on ourselves or on others. They're sometimes based on these faulty or incomplete ideas of who Jesus is and who we are as his people. And then, then we ask God to reveal Jesus to us by his Spirit so that we may know him truly and give witness to him You see, the religious police might have come with the wrong question. They were asking John, who are you? And what they should have asked was, who is the Messiah? Then they would have gotten the right answer. And John gives witness to Jesus. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, this is the chosen one. The Spirit proves it. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, what more do we need? Let us give witness to the Word made flesh, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. We, your people, confused and faltering, seek you. We want to see you revealed by the Spirit, to know you and to give witness to you, as John did, as your people have, that we may label you accurately and and proclaim your name to all nations, that they may know who you are, who you truly are, and come and follow you. Give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and uh, lips that are quick to speak your name, to proclaim you to all, that you may be known and that we may be known as your people, those who follow after you. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. As we respond to God's word, we'll sing a, a song that speaks of Jesus as our Redeemer and Lamb. We'll rise and sing, There is a Redeemer. And the words will be on screen. <laughs>